Happy Halloween, everyone. It is October 19th, 2020. Welcome to episode eight of Legacy Battle Podcast. Don't adjust your screens. I have lost 25 pounds since the beginning of this show. Uh, please join the Legacy Battle Facebook group and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we're looking for sponsors. So hit us up on the, the webpage or, or whatever. We'd definitely love to do that. Also, check us out on. Back here. So any sponsors. Also, check us out on ngscsports.com. NGSC Sports. We never stop. So they're spon uh, sponsored by Arena Eats. Log on to their website at the arenaeats.app for the ultimate fan experience at your favorite sports venue. Arena Eats mobile app, pre order, express pickup, and in seat delivery. How do you place your order? Our next podcast is November 16th uh, at 9 p.m. Joining us that night is former Atlanta Brave and Pittsburgh Pirate Sid Breen. We'll be debating the second Mount Rushmore of the New York Yankees. I'm Michael Adams. Here with me always, Brian King, Kevin Adams. Uh, if you're all wondering where Brett Ebert is tonight, he's, uh, he's under the weather, so please keep him and your family and his family in your prayers. Uh, we're joined by a very special guest, Tonight, he won the Wimbledon mixed doubles title with Martina Navratilova, captured the men's doubles title at the French Open with Byron Black, also was runner-up at the Australian Open. He was ranked number one in the world in 1994 in doubles. He's completed uh, competed in 287 singles matches with two titles, and his double records is an outstanding, outstanding 303 wins to only 186 losses with 19 career titles. He was a member of the United States Davis Cup team in 1997, and uh, he was an All-American at Stanford, winning a national title in 1990. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Stark. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. <laughs> we're really honored to have you here. Um, after the debate, we're going to have a Q&A uh, with uh, Jonathan about his career. Uh, tonight's debate is who was the greatest tennis rivalry. We're going to be doing male and female. And we've narrowed it down to what we feel was our top three for the, the debate tonight. And we'll, as always, we'll pick a winner at the end uh, of the show. So just like in life, it's ladies first. And uh, representing our first one, Navratilova and Everett, is Brian King. All right. So we have Martina Navratilova come out of Czechoslovakia. Um, and we have Chris Everett, who came out of the United States. Uh, Navratilova, she had a uh, wicked lefty serve, um, and she at, at one point she defected from uh, from Czechoslovakia to come to the United States. Uh, at that time, Czechoslovakia was under the iron fists of Russia, the whole deal. So she comes over, focuses on tennis, and this rivalry was a great one. Fifteen years it went; it went from 1973 to 1988. So it started out pretty one sided. Everett pretty much dominated. She won the first 16 of 20 matches. But then over time, Navratilova, she was able to get her figured out. And it ended up, when it was all said and done, the head-to-head -head ended up being 43 to 37 in favor of Navratilova. Um, so, you know, you can imagine that, you know, after those first several 20 matches or so, it was very highly um, uh, towards Navratilova after that. Um, they went to they they uh, uh, matched up in Grand Slams 22 times. It was 14 to eight um, in finals. It was 10 to four in Avratilova. Um In three set matches, though, matches that you know that, that went that distance, 15 to 14 Everett. 
Um, in the French Open, French Open on the clay was definitely favored uh, ever. She won, she was uh, seven and two against uh, Martina. And um, uh, U.S. Open, it was six to four in favor of Everett. Australia, three to two. Wimbledon, nine to three. And the Wimbledon grass, nine to three. It was Navratilova. Um, but in tour events, it was it was completely even at 26-26. Everett, as far as her career goes, she was the first to win a 1,000 singles matches. First to ever do it. Um, Navratilova, she still holds the record for nine Wimbledon titles. Uh, she also has 177 doubles titles, which is which is just tremendous. Um, like I said, it was a 15-year rivalry, and from 1981 to 1985, between the two of them, they won 15 consecutive Grand Slam titles. So they were on top at that point in time. And from 82 to 87, um, of the 24 uh, Grand Slam matches, there was only three others that were that, that won. All the other the other 21 during that period of time was all either Martina or Chris Everett. So this this rivalry was was really something else. Um, so I'm going to let some of the other guys uh, chime in about it now. Uh, they played it 80 times. I mean, that is an insane number. You know, you mentioned something that I'm going to bring up a lot tonight in, in, in most of these is the advantage on clay uh, as opposed to grass. I mean, Everett was better on the clay and the hard courts. Uh, Martina was, you know, better on grass, indoor carpet type things. But, you know, Everett had the speed, the footwork, the – super intelligent uh, out there, you know, strong backhand. Martina is a very fast-paced serve that threw a lot of people off their game at times. You know, play had a volley-style type of play, especially uh, not in the youngest days, but towards the middle days of her. Um, and those two really, like, they, they built they built the game for, for women's tennis, in my opinion. Um, Jonathan, you... You played with Martina, so you got yeah. firsthand knowledge on this one. Uh, what, do, what do you think of these two? Well, I mean, it's such an interesting rivalry because they're, they're, they they contrast each other so well. You know, you have you have Martina who who came from Czechoslovakia, like uh, Brian said, and then Chrissy from um, from the U.S. and and you know Martina lefty, Chrissy righty. Uh, um, uh, Martina was one of the first female athletes to come out. Uh, Chrissy was, 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 was like the all American girl. So, you know, they, they, there are just so many, um, uh, uh, differences between the way, the way they played. Martina was a servant volleyer. Uh, Chrissy was the, 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 the ultimate baseliner. Like you said, great backhand, um, super quick, um, Martina was one of the first female athletes to really bring fitness, I think, to the game a little bit. She was super strong. She really watched her diet. Uh, um, so, so it just was such a, and, it, and, and playing somebody 80 times is just insane. You know, I, 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 I can't even imagine that, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know who the most, the, the person I played the most, but it, it, it would not even uh, come close to that, obviously. So, you know, competing at someone 80 times and having it be so close, 43 to 37 is really amazing. So, um, you know, I can remember growing up watching these two at Wimbledon at the French. I mean, it just, uh, 
um, is is amazing. And um, from my perspective, I felt real lucky to be able to to play with Martina at Wimbledon. It was it was it was a real honor. And uh, um, but uh, but but uh, what what a rivalry they they've had. From everything that I've read, it says that despite all that, they they were still friends. Can you can you vouch for that? I think they were. I think they were. They're both really nice people. Competed well, and I I, I honestly think they were. Yeah, I I I, uh, I would vouch for it. I I don't have firsthand firsthand knowledge, but I would vouch for that. No, yeah, I, no, Martina, and and uh, I don't. I've met Chrissy a bunch, but but uh, they're both really nice people. Yeah, I, I saw an interview um, uh, not long ago, and you know, with with Everett and, and Everton, it was side by side, and and they were. They were friendly, but they were kind of giving like little digs at each other too, which was kind of like you know it was kind of cool because you know they you could tell that there's still like that little bit of a rivalry edge even now you know yeah. even though you know this many years later. Yeah. Um, sure. Another fact I left out also was that from '75, um, November of '75 to August of '87, um, one of those two was number one all but 23 weeks in that span of time. That, that's just amazing how, how long that rivalry, just how long that the greatness of both of them was, you know, uh, for that, for, we're talking about over a 12 year span. That's, that's amazing. They dominated. That, that is incredible. Kevin, go, go ahead. You look like you had something you want to say. Yeah. So uh, I think one of the things that's impressive about uh, Everett is uh, she made her debut uh, 16, she made it all into the semifinals uh, and taking down uh, Billy D. Um, but the two of them, they definitely had different um, attitudes. Uh, I guess, you know, Martina could sometimes be a loose cannon, and some have compared her to McEnroe at times, where she's actually had screamed at the chair a couple times, or she'll crack jokes uh, when things start getting tight. Kind of like, I think the pressure may have gotten to her a little bit from what I was reading up on, but Ever was a little bit more calm, relaxed. Um, but I mean, uh, they faced each other 14 times in Grand Slam finals, um, and Everett lost 10 of those. So 10 to 4, I don't know if you had mentioned that, Brian, 10 to 4 in the Grand Slam finals. Between the two. Right, uh, right. Martina was ahead. And so that shows me right there, though, that Everett could crack under pressure in the big game. Do we know how many of those were at Wimbledon? Um, good question. It would just be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was it was nine to three um, in favor of Martina at Wimbledon. At Wimbledon, okay. Yeah. okay. So, Mar uh, Martina won the big games, uh, yeah. but Everett was more calm and relaxed and kept herself in control. Was mentally a little bit better prepared, but McEnroe was a loose cannon too, and he won a bunch too, and it worked out for both of them, Martina and McEnroe. So, well, and with Martina, you have to wonder if. She would have became as good as she did become, if not for Everett, because she was losing to Everett at the beginning, and she yeah. couldn't stand it. And that is what really made her, you know, become more athletic, work on her game even more, and and pushed her even harder because she was sick of losing to Everett. You know, mm -hmm. it, she, that competitive edge uh, that a professional athlete has. You see it in like Tom Brady. You know hates losing more than he likes winning, you know? So the, Martina definitely had that, so. That's oh, a I, good point, Michael. I, Brian, I was surprised what you said. What, what was it? She she lost like 16 out of 20 times or something the first time they played Martina. Or that's right, yeah. And I was going to ask you, um, 
do you do you happen to know was there some sort of adjustment that she made that that made that Martina made to, to, to get better against Everett or was it just sort of figuring out her game you know I, I I don't know but I think Michael's point I I think it might be the fitness thing a little bit I I, I do think maybe she got stronger you know um you know, I, I don't know at what point she she became kind of this, you know, she 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 was a beast. I mean, she was she was strong and she really um, she really made fitness a big part of it. So I, I think that might be it. And and losing losing to somebody, you know, 16 out of 20 times is going to is going to spur you on, especially if you uh, if you if you, uh, you know, have the heart of a champion like she obviously does. Um, OK, let's uh, let's move on to. Steffi Graf versus Monica Sellis. I drew the uh, short straw on that one, so mm. I, I'm representing those two. Um, let me switch my notes over to them. Sorry about that. So I'll, I'll just give a, a, a little individual stats first for each. Um, Steffi Graf has an 88.7 win percentage, and that's even better than what Serena Williams has. Serena Williams is only at 85.2. So that's an impressive stat all in itself. She's got 107 titles, 900 wins, um, seven uh, Wimbledon titles, 22 Grand Slams total. And she's the only, it might've changed recently, but I'm pretty sure she's still the only Golden Slam winner for the women, um, which means she won all four major tournaments and the Olympic gold medal all in that same year period. Um, she also has 11 double titles out there. Um, and Billie Jean King is quoted as saying that uh, Steffi Graf is the greatest women's player of all time. Um, and in 1999, the Associated Press named her the greatest of the 25th century, or uh, 25th century, 20th century, excuse me. So that's a little individual stuff about Graf. Now on Celis, her win percentage is 82.9. Um, so it, it is lower, but it's, it's still a very good win percentage. She had 53 titles. Um, she's the youngest ever to win the French Open. She was 16 years old. She's got 10 grand slams, and eight of those became, came before she was 20 years old, which is a key date age for Monica Seles. Uh, for you know, a lot of our viewers, if you haven't watched, you know, don't know a lot about tennis, she was stabbed. Uh, in a match in Germany. I'm going to get to into that in a minute. Um, but she also has a bronze Olympic medal, uh, six career double titles and players and historians say, if not for the, the stabbing incident that she could have been the greatest of all time for the women. So her career is kind of a, what if, even though it wasn't, it was a hall of fame career regardless. So um, now head to head, this rivalry went from basically 1989 to 1999, and it was really, uh, you know, for best player of the decade in, in the, especially the early 90s. Celis, um, she was lefty, powerful shot, had precision. Um, Graf probably had the best forehand in the business, uh, especially during that time, and a very powerful serve. Um, grand slams, so Graf leads six to four over Celis on the grand slams. And they were three and three in the finals at Grand Slams. So, and then on the tour, you got Graf leading four to one. Um, but from 1990 to 1993, they traded the number one spot in the world back and forth. Um, and up until 1993, head to head, they were 
pretty much very even. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, 1993 tournament in Germany, a crazy fan, uh, supposedly Steffi Graf fan, um, stabbed Celis in the back during a match. Um, and that somehow that nut job didn't even get jail time. Don't, don't get me started on that, especially, you know, for what I do for a living. But um, Celis was out for almost two years when that occurred. And upon her return, she was good, but she was never, she was never as good as she was before. Um, she was never as dominant again. Um, and she'd only beat Graf. She only beat Steffi Graf one more time after that. But both are Hall of Famers. Um, Celis is ranked 19th. And Graf is ranked third um, on the all-time greatest tennis players uh, by the Tennis Channel. And, um, yeah, so that, that's what I got on them. Uh, did you, by any chance, Jonathan, did you play either of them in, in doubles, mixed no. doubles at any point? No, they didn't play too much. I, that's interesting you said their doubles resumes. I didn't. I don't remember them playing much doubles. Um, definitely not mixed doubles. So, no, I never had the opportunity to play, be on the court with them. Um, their careers kind of, you know, you mentioned their rivalry was like 89 to 90. So that was about right when I came on the tour about 90, 91. So I had the, you know, uh, the pleasure of at Grand Slams, you know, being um, kind of watching their careers and watching them play and so forth. Um, but no, to answer your question, I did not. Um, I, I didn't ever get on the court with either of them. So the question I wanted to ask you most tonight is, is about this particular rivalry. Especially since you were a player, you were ranked, you, you know how all that system went. When Monica Sellis came back from the stabbing, they elected to um, – have her come back that kind of like tied as number one in the world and from what i've heard a lot of players weren't happy about that others were but a lot weren't did did you have an opinion on that at all or what were your I thoughts i didn't know that um i didn't know that i would uh looking back i would have no problem with that i mean she deserves it i mean she she got stabbed on the court she was dominating the game i was surprised you said she was only 20 years old because um, she did, you know, she won her first Grand Slam at 16. So, I mean, 16 to 20, she she was dominant and she was good. She ripped the ball, you know, two hands both sides. She was a lefty, but she was two hands both sides and just hit the crap out of the ball um, every time and was a competitor. Um, so when you said she got stabbed at 20, I, I you know, um, you know, she basically had a four-year career because, uh, as you said, she never, she did not come back uh, at all as she was. You know, she was not the same player, and rightfully so. You know, she's sitting on a changeover drinking water, and you know, some dude comes up and stabs her. I mean, that's 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 pretty pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. Brian, Brian, or Kevin, you guys want to? Yeah, I'll jump in. Anything here? Good. Yeah. Um, you know, I. What, what could have been if she didn't get stabbed? I mean, yeah. it, it could have been completely uh, different. Um, but, I mean, if you look at how they split their games on each court, as well as, you know, overall games, the finals, fortunately, it's the, the graph leads in every category except for playing on clay courts, they tied. Grand Slam finals, they tied. But... Every other category, graph one, graph one on hard courts, grass courts, carpet courts, 
year-end championships, grand slams, all finals, all matches. And, I mean, so Celis's career was, you know, she was only in it, what, like seven, nine years, ten years um, with Graf, and then she got stabbed in what year, did you say? 93. Yeah, so then she missed 94. Uh, between 93 and 96, Graf was ranked number one. Um, could that have been different if Celis um, didn't get stabbed? I mean, it might have been. I will say Celis was ranked number two in 96. So obviously, she was still, you know. Yeah, good point. Still not too bad uh, to still be ranked second the following year. Um, but yeah. then after that, she, she started the dwindle. I mean, she was fifth, sixth. I mean, she was still top ten um, all the way up until the end of 2002. Then she dropped down to 60 in 2003. Well, I mean, she, she was ranked second, but she came back as first. So she would have had to work her way down anyways. So. Right, but I'm, but I'm saying – when she came back, she, she came back hot as first, which actually before she got stabbed, she was ranked eighth in 93. Um, then she came back tied for first, 96, she was second. She went fifth, sixth, sixth, fourth, tenth, seventh, and then sixth. So the next like seven years, she was still in the top 10. So she wasn't, didn't deteriorate that much, but um, it definitely, I think she would have given Graf a little bit more run for her money if that stabbing didn't happen. Maybe the numbers wouldn't be so swayed towards graph on all the stands like stats. John, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I was going to say I agree with that, but I, I mean, thinking back on Steffi and hearing her stats, I mean, winning the winning the Grand Slam plus the plus the gold medal, um, Steffi was amazing. She was so dominant and such an incredible athlete, and just you know, moved her, her movement and her athleticism on the court a little bit like Martina, but even, even at a higher level, in my opinion, um, she, she was, she comparing anybody to Steffi is pretty tough. You know, it's interesting. She never hit over her backhand. She did not hit a top spin backhand at any time. She sliced it every time. And then she had that unbelievable forehand. So anyway, just how, how she could get away with that. You think about today's game, it's pretty amazing. One last question on on that on those two. With uh, Celis being a lefty, so I, I know in other sports, being a lefty can mess up a lot of other players. Is that the same in tennis that you you know you're kind of reversing how you play when you play against a lefty? Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know the serve comes in different, and what is it? I think ten percent of society is left-handed or something. So you know I most the time, you're, you know most of the time you're playing righties and so it it, cha it does change everything and I, I i think the serve is is one of the biggest uh advantages okay. you know just because it's coming in opposite they hit that lefty serve to your backhand they hit their forehand to your backhand i mean so i, I it, it it i'm not i don't know if it's an advantage but it's, it definitely changes it changes it a bit for all righties okay. yeah all right let's move on to um De uh, lindsey davenport versus venus williams Kevin, you have that one. Go ahead. Yeah, so, I mean, this is probably one of more of our closer um, rivalries when it comes down to head-to-head -head stuff. Now, individually, I mean, it's pretty lopsided, but actual head-to-head -head matches, um, probably one of our closer rivals. So, I mean, you have Lindsay Davenport. She was a, a baseline player. Her game was mainly built around ground strokes. She had a great backhand, a two-handed backhand, great serve. She hit. Crazy placement, like she could place the ball pretty much wherever she wanted. 
her forehand was described almost as good as Steffi Graf's. Um, she's one of the cleanest ball strikers in the history of the WTA. Um, and she had the reputation of being one of the hardest hitters. Now, she did lack some speed and mobility around the court. And I'd say that was probably one of her um, biggest weaknesses uh, when it came down to her. But when it came to uh, individual accolades, I mean, her record, she was 753 wins to 194 losses, 55 uh, titles. Uh, she had been ranked 91, or I'm sorry, she had been ranked uh, number one on eight different occasions for a total of 98 weeks. Had won the Australian Open, Wimbledon once, U.S. Open once, uh, four finals. Uh, she did win Olympic gold medal for women's singles in 96 back in Atlanta. Uh, she had appeared in uh, doubles tournaments. She won the French Open, the Wimbledon, and U.S. Open doubles. She was also on some team competitions. Won the Fed Cup three years. Her on it in the Hopman Cup. But, I mean, she has some good individual accolades. Her record is pretty good. Her doubles record. Uh, she had actually been ranked number one as well in doubles, ninety-seven. Her doubles record. She was three eighty-seven, sixteen. 38 titles, doubles. Switch over to Venus. Um, Venus's uh, individual accolades heavily outweigh Davenport. Um, Venus was a baseline player. She attacked the court all over. She is well adapted to grass. That was pretty much, I think, her most comfortable area as a player in grass, which Wimbledon is played on grass. She did five titles. She became a very skillful volleyer. She had a long arm span. She had agility around the net, uh, great coverage. She also holds the record for fastest serve in three different tournaments. She actually served up to 129 miles per hour. That's a pretty wicked serve. Look at her individual stats. Um, she had 812 wins, 256 losses, a single, 49 titles, ranked number one, starting in 2002. I think uh, she was only number one for 19 weeks. And I think competition around the time when she was playing in the women's tour uh, was a little bit heavier, especially when you have her sister in there, Davenport, couple, won Wimbledon five times, like I said before. She won the US Open twice. She actually defeated Davenport in Wimbledon twice. Went on to win other tournaments, Grand Slam Cup Tour Finals as four gold medals, three in doubles, one in singles. She also got a silver in the mixed doubles. Her mixed record though, 28 and eight with two career titles, won the Australian Open, French Open for mixed. Regular doubles, 22 titles, 185 to 36 for record. She won the Australian Open four times, French Open twice, Wimbledon six times for doubles, US Open twice. So individual accolades, she destroys them. But when you go head-to-head, -head, Davenport actually leads 14 to 13. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That key on the head-to-head, -head, though, Davenport does lead 14 to 13. But uh, in the finals, it's actually 3-0 Venus. So that that changes. My, my biggest issue with, with, uh, with this particular rivalry, um, I – it was a great rivalry, but I don't even think it's the 
best known rivalry for both of them. You mentioned Serena versus Venus. Um, I believe you mentioned it. Granted, that was a one-sided rivalry, but I think people kind of remember Venus more for her rivalry with her sister than they do with Davenport. And and, and Davenport even had a, uh, a pretty good rivalry. I think it was with uh, Capriotti, if I'm recalling correctly. But Venus is always compared to Serena. So anything Serena Venus, dominates her every time. I understand that, but she's always compared with her. So everything is always going to come back rivalry-wise, Venus versus Serena. So That's only because it's siblings. I'm, I'm just making my argument as to why they shouldn't be the, the number one women's rivalry. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. Too lopsided. And, and Davenport, Davenport was she's a great player, but she wasn't she wasn't dominant for long extended time period. Like uh, you know, Venus was definitely dominant a lot longer. Gosh, Serena's been dominant for probably 20 years now. It seems like Davenport held number one longer than. Well, did, did then you Venus. Say 98 weeks, Kevin. Yeah. 98 weeks. She held number one. Yeah, on eight different. It was a it was a stretch between eight different occasions where she hit yeah. number one, but she you. held it for like 80 times, 80 weeks longer than Venus did. That's pretty impressive. I mean, that that was the thing that surprised me the most was the difference of uh, at number one, um, 19 weeks for Venus and 98 for Lindsay. Um, which is um, which is such a discrepancy, but I agree with you. I think the competition with Serena um, added a little bit. Lindsay must have snuck in there between like Steffi, and uh, you know, kind of snuck in there before the Williams girls came on came on the scene. Um, these girls, as far as the way they play, I mean, they're just so similar. I mean, they played the same way. They're both over six feet tall. You know, they just um, they just beat the ball. Um, I think Venus was a was a better athlete and um, you know could move a little bit better, maybe volley better. Although Lindsay was a was a really good volleyer, good doubles player. Actually played mixed doubles against her at Wimbledon uh, at one time. Can't remember the year, but I remember playing against her maybe a couple times in mixed doubles. But um, um, you know, both uh, both um, uh, great players, obviously. Brian, did you play against Venus too? I'm sorry, real quick. Did you play against I Venus? Did. I never did play a uh, mix against Venus. Surprisingly, I'm I'm surprised by that, but I never did. Yeah, because they they both played a lot of doubles. You know, as I said, Steffi and uh, Monica didn't play a lot of doubles. Martina obviously played a ton of doubles, um, but uh, these two played a lot. These two played a lot. So. Brian, anything you wanted to add? Well, yeah, I mean, I sort of just echo your point is that this rivalry doesn't seem like it stands out as kind of you know, the way that the other, you know, the, the previous two we mentioned just as far as like, you know, I like jump out from like a historical standpoint, but it, it is interesting that Davenport was actually you know, a little bit of a better, uh, a better um, had more accomplishments um, as far as, like you said, the weeks at number one. Um, and she seemed to have, have uh, Venus's number uh, unless if it was a grand slam, like you said, I mean, that, you know, that's, but you know, you, you see that in sports sometimes where it's just certain people that you match up, you just don't match up that well against. And then it kind of seems like that's the way it was for Venus, uh, uh, you know, when she went against uh, uh, Davenport. Yeah. Okay. Venus was a little, v Venus, Venus compared to Serena and that's why Serena got her. And, and Lindsay, I think maybe, Maybe got her a little bit. Uh, well, it was only one match. What was it, fourteen to thirteen? Lindsay was ahead. Um, oh, yeah. 
know, Lindsay was just a little more consistent. Venus could have those matches where she just would miss a lot of balls. And I think, uh, you know, she was a little inconsistent. But um, I think that's why she was better on the grass because she could, uh, you know, use her serve a little bit more and her movement came into play. When, when you were at Wimbledon, um, did you ever, like, sit and watch any of the other matches? Like, did you sit and watch any of these players play in any of the as a player, you don't really do that too much. You know, you, you you might catch it on TV or something, but you're not you're not sitting in the stands really doing that too often. Too often, yeah, yeah. I remember when I was in the juniors. I remember sitting and watching Lendl and Villander play in the finals of the French. I remember I sat there and watched the whole match live, which was pretty cool. <laughs> All right. It. Well, before we move on to the men, uh, just a reminder for everyone to check out Arena Eats. Log on to the website, arenaeats.app, for the ultimate fan experience at your favorite sports venue. Arena Eats mobile app, pre-order, express pickup, and in-seat delivery. How do you place your order? Now, let's move on to the men's. Um, our first one is Johnny Mac, Mac John McEnroe uh, versus uh, Bjorg. Uh, Brian, is that – did you get that? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you what, I'm pumped up about this rivalry. Um you know, my, you know, I was born, you know, a little bit too late to really have experienced this one. Um, but, you know, looking back on it, I'll tell you what, it was it was really something for the history of tennis. I mean, you had Borg, who was like the ice man. He, um, you know, he didn't he didn't show emotion while he was on the, on the court. Um, if you look in sort of back into his history when he was in Sweden, um, he had he had some problems with that when he was in junior tennis and um, you know, with with these outbursts and, and, and sorts of things, and um, he he was suspended for six months um, from the Swedish junior tennis and and he, he you know he, he got with his he got with his coach and his coach sort of worked that worked through him you know worked through that with him and got him to where he became more of a calm player and he he even took to took it to the extreme where there was times where he would just hardly even speak at all while he was on the court. Now John McEnroe, polar opposite. They called him fire, and 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 that was you know he was any sort of emotion that he had while he was on the court, any disappointment, any tribe, anything. He was letting you know about it. You knew exactly how John McEnroe felt at any time while he was there. Plenty of outbursts. Um, you know there was a famous one during a Jimmy Connors match in, in 1980. Um, you know a dispute and a, a ball that went out. Uh, it was called out that he didn't believe it was out. So I mean, he was just a uh, you know just a, just a fiery player. Um, they were they were very opposite when it came to the way that they played. Uh, McEnroe being a lefty, um, McEnroe liked to crash the net. Um, Borg was more of a, a baseline player. Uh, Borg had a wicked double-handed backhand, uh, which was not really too common prior to him. Uh, you know when he when he came into the um, into the circuit. So that was something that was uh, um, that was new. Now. Head to head, these guys—they only—they only faced each other fourteen times. It, it seems like it seems like it was more than that. But when they faced each other, it was so important for the history of tennis. So head to head, seven seven and seven, they got the better of each other uh, an equal amount of times. In the Grand Slams, three for McEnroe, one for Borg. Um, and so now you get to the nineteen eighty Wimbledon. I mean, they made a movie about this. It was so big. Um, everything leading up to it. Um, John McEnroe, he's going out there. He's getting booed by the fans. They don't like his. They don't like his conduct. They don't like his outburst. Borg, he's going for his fifth consecutive win there, which was just just unbelievable um, to, to be able to pull that off. And 
Borg is he's dealing with all this pressure and everything uh, to, to try and win this. You know, is, I mean, he got even to the point where is his heart even really in it, you know, but he was such a competitor. Um, you know, and so they so they finally they meet in the finals in in um in nineteen eighty and McEnroe set one, he he goes through, I mean it's really really quickly he, he wins that first set and it's looking like wow, what was going on with Borg? Well then the old Borg comes back, set two, set three, he wins both of those. Then McEnroe in set four, which this is like one of the most legendary sets, I mean, in, in tennis history, set four. It, it goes, we end up with a, a tiebreaker that lasts for 20 minutes and McEnroe saves championship point five times during this, during this set, which is amazing. So he ends up, he wins this, he wins that set. It goes to five and Borg ends up beating him eight to six in the final set. And it's like, it was almost like it was a victory in, in, in a sense for McEnroe because it was like, this was McEnroe's first time, you know, on the big stage like this. And he went, you know, blow for blow with a with a guy, you know, then it'll be a five time champion. And it was it was just uh just one of those, you know, places you, know, you sort of check mark in, in tennis history. It was like one of just the the, the great moments. Um the, the following year, nineteen eighty one Wimbledon, McEnroe is able to get his revenge. He's able to beat um uh Borg in, in four sets. And Borg at this point, you know, he was going for that sixth straight Wimbledon, he couldn't get it. And the pressure was just immense. It was it was just so much for him. He was like, you know, the way he held his emotions in, it, it was just so intense that finally he just let it go. And he, he walked out. He wasn't even there for the final ceremonies um, in 1981. And he walked out and he retired. Um, he eventually came back some, but he was just never really the same. Uh, by 1983, he was he was out of tennis. So this this um, rivalry had only went for from 78 to 81. So it wasn't it was very short, but just for what it brought to the to the game of tennis, putting it on the forefront. I mean, you had you know you had your villain, you know McEnroe. You had your your hero Borg. Um, you just had that just an amazing dynamic that really sort of it it, it brought so many extra fans into tennis and, and really put a, a great focus on the sport. You uh, you mentioned that head to head seven to seven, right? That's what you said. Right. Just just even more tell you how even they are. At invitationals, they were four and four against each other, and the only the only time there's a difference is in exhibitions, where Borg is two and one. <laughs> right, right. So, there's only one win difference. That is definitely the closest rivalry that that we we have going on today. Even I know Capriotti or Davenport and uh, Venus Williams was a, one different, but these guys were these guys were on another planet compared to those two. Uh, and just like you mentioned, the opposite of their games. Um, and surprisingly, uh, you know, McEnroe has said that you know they're they're really good friends, and uh, they are. They know, are. Yes. They, they they never argued off the court, is according to him. Which yeah, you know, McEnroe's a big arguer. But uh, John, I know you uh, you you played McEnroe. I, I found him one time. Is it only yeah. once? Yeah, one time. One okay. time. And uh, yeah, Borg was already gone by the time you started. But uh, yeah. it, what, what do you think of this rivalry? Well, I could talk this one for 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 an American growing up. You know, I was born seventy one, so these guys, you know, what you mentioned, you know, nineteen eighty eighty one. So I'm nine ten years old. I can remember. I, I remember those matches, and then and then um, 
you know, I watched the movie recently, Fire and Ice, that HBO put on, which uh, reminded me of that tiebreaker you were talking about, Brian. I think Mac won at nineteen seventeen in the fourth set, and then right, you know yeah. that Borg actually came back and. And I think he was down a break point and he talks about, you know, if he'd have lost that first game of the fifth set, he probably would have lost. Anyway, he pulled it out. But but these guys, as you said, these guys kind of put put tennis on the map. I mean, I, I, I feel like I feel like, you know, Connors was in there as well. But these guys just there. They're contrasting styles. Again, you have a lefty and a righty. Mac was uh, Mac was more of a certain volleyer, came in a lot, super volatile. Uh, Borg was just ice, as you said, didn't say a word. Um, you know, two-handed backhand, which kind of – Connors was a two-handed backhand, but Borg kind of, you know, brought that to the table as well. Um, super good. Both of them were amazing athletes. Mac had all the touch. Um, supposedly guys I talked to with Borg, they said he had like world-class sprinter speed. They say he's probably arguably the fastest uh, male player of all time. Um, you know, so just, just what they brought to the court and it's, it's just so perfect that it was seven to seven and, and, uh, that they, that they, that they, there was 50% each. So, um, I mean, these guys, I could talk about these guys forever. You know, uh, Michael, when you mentioned I played them. I played him at the Canadian Open. It was, a, I think, the quarterfinals, the Canadian Open, and I was, I was like 22, 23. I was, I was pretty, um, you know, pretty full of myself playing, playing some good tennis, and and kind of an odd. I, I knew, I knew Mac, you know, fairly well, but, you know, to, to play him in singles in a big match uh, was 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 interesting for me to say the least. But he was ahead six zero four zero. And I was serving 40-15, and I hit an ace up the middle, and he goes bananas for like five minutes. You know, he's up 6-0-4-1, they're changing sides. And, you know, I know he does it just to entertain the crowd. He he knows the serve was in, and he's just, you know, he's just putting on a show for five minutes and going nuts. And I finally said, like, let's just get this over with so I could get off the court, Mac. And you know, he beat me 0-1 and uh, put me in my place pretty quick. But uh, – um, you know, talk, he, that, he, I, uh, he's one of my idols. Both those guys are, are two of my idols, uh, growing up and kind of a reason why I played tennis. And, uh, Robert could have been even more, but, uh, Borg retired at 26, I think. So yeah, yeah, pretty young. Matt, Matt took a break, you know, kind of Borg's retiring kind of seemed to kind of, uh, made Mac kind of lose his uh, uh, motivation to play, took a break, and then he came back, obviously. But, uh, you know, both of them, both of them, uh, um, especially Borg, but both of them uh, uh, by 25, 26 was, was their best tennis was, was done. You know? All right, let's uh, move on to Agassi Sampras. Kevin, you, you got that one. Yeah, I just want, I wanted to mention something too on Borg and McEnroe. To just kind of piggyback off of what you said about the friendships and everything. I'm pretty sure that John uh, was actually the best man in Bjorg's uh, wedding. That's how close of friends they actually became. Right, um, yeah, that's true. The movie, uh, Borg McEnroe, Shayla Booth played. McEnroe did a great job. Um, but that was a good movie. And it really hit, you know, showed a good picture of both, showed the ups and downs story in that, that Wimbledon tournament. Then it kind of touched base on. But also one thing is McEnroe led in the finals too, five before. I don't know if that was mentioned. 
Okay. Slight edge when it came to the final, like final matches. Yeah. Thought that was okay. Good. All right. All right. So yeah, Sampras and um, Agassi. Um, these are two household names. I mean, who doesn't know Sampras and Agassi? Um, they pretty much think American players in tennis. You think Agassi and Sampras um, in the nineties and early two thousands. I mean, they were pretty and, much. And I'm sorry. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so Agassi, I mean, he was an interesting player. He, he played pretty much the same on all surfaces. Like, he, most players would have to adapt their game to the different surface that they were playing. Agassi played the same across the board. Um, and he played uh, on clay uh, uh, in a typical, like, hard court manner, uh, virtually on baseline. He would hit through the ball, trying to control the middle of the court. He didn't do much sliding at all. Um, he helped revolutionize the return of the serve. Uh, he wasn't one of the most uh, athletic players um, on tour, but he had some extreme, like, quick footwork reflexes. Relied on the take of the ball very early on the return serve from the baseline. Sampras, he played a little bit differently. He was more conventional, all-court player. <coughs> Served and volleyed on grass virtually every point, um, but, but rallied on his own serve. You know, when it comes down to individual accolades, and you know, again, this is a lopsided. Uh, Agassi, he had a good career. He won 60 tournaments. You know, majority of them are on hard court. 46 of those, actually, 60 tournaments that he won were on hard court. He won an Olympic gold medal in 96, which was in the, mm-hmm. here in Atlanta. He was one of seven men to win four major titles on all surfaces. Won the Australian Open four times. U.S. Open twice, Wimbledon in 92, French Open in 99. He was number one for a total of 101 weeks in his career, finished year-end number one in 1999. He won 18 Super 9 Masters tournaments, including six in Miami, three in Cincinnati. He also won the year-end World Championships on the 90. His overall record was 870-74 in that. Span was over 20 years. Uh, Sampras, he won more titles. He actually won 64 titles. Um, half of those were on hard court. Um, he holds many records. He was number one for 286 weeks. That is 185 more weeks than Agassi. That's pretty impressive. Uh, he was number one uh, at the end of the year, six years in a row from 1993 to 90. Won the Wimbledon seven times, U.S. Open five times, played in eight finals. He won the Australian Open twice, won the year-end championship five times, won 11 of the Super 9 Masters, including Miami and Cincinnati three times, the Italian Open, won 1994, he won tournaments on all surfaces, play hard-court grass, indoor carpet. His, his overall record was 762 wins. 222 losses over a 15-year period. So he had less less wins, but he also had five-year, uh, less years in his career. But when it comes to head-to-head, um, they played each other 34 times, and Sampras leads 20 to 14. You guys want to throw out some of the other stats, I'll leave some of those. 20 to 14 overall, Sampras leads. 
And Sanford's also made about $10 million more magazines. I was very surprised to hear it was only 20 to 14. That's, um, it always seemed like that Sampras was Agassi's kryptonite, you know, when I, when I would watch them play. Um, these two, they put tennis on the map for me. Like, I didn't, I wasn't into tennis until these two came around. They, uh, I, I remember just being being a kid and, and watching their matches. Like, just, I think it was probably because of Agassi. Agassi was kind of, I don't want to say Dennis Rodman of tennis, but he definitely was uh, – a star image is everything. I mean, that was pretty famous in the nineties. Um, you know, Sampras was, uh, more of a, a quiet, humble kind of stay out of the limelight type, uh, person. Even he did marry a, uh, a movie star, but, um, you know, obviously Agassi dated Brooke Shields for a long time. He's married to Steffi Graf now, who we just talked about earlier, of course. Um, I, what I wanted to ask you, John, about, about this, I, I, I think I did my research correctly. So your racket was a Yonix Titanium 400, right? For a while? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you switched to the, uh, the head blue radical 260. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I just wanted to get your opinion on this because that a lot of people were ripping on Agassi because he used that 260 uh, racket and he blamed that for his losing streak. So did it cause a losing streak for you or was Agassi just having a little sour grapes? I think it's sour grapes. I think it's sour grapes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I, 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 I never heard that story. I never heard that. But, uh, um, you know, he was famous for the Prince Graphite. I don't know if you guys remember that one, but he used the Prince Graphite forever. But, um, yeah, I, I never heard the story about the rackets. That's a good one. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, that that's a true story, too. So, But I know you played them both. Was Did you feel like one was better than the other? You know, Andre Andre for me was, was tougher for me. Uh, you know, Kevin, you brought up his um, his uh, return of serve. You know, my, my serve was my biggest weapon. So Andre kind of uh, negated that. And and um, so he was he was a tough matchup for me. Um, and then Pete, Pete was, you know, I, I played Pete, I believe, three times. Every time it was like super close. But just like always, he pulled it out. He he four he, times. Played him four times. Was it, was it four times? Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I never got either of them, which is a big bummer. I would have loved to say I beat one of those guys. I mean, like <laughs> you said, I mean, for me, I mean, those were the two two greatest. Um, they're both my age, basically. And, um, you know, they, they dominated the game uh, for 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 years. And uh, what, what was Pete? 286 years at number one. I mean, that's that that's pretty incredible. And, um, you know, he arguably has the greatest single shot of all time with his serve, um, especially his second serve. And then, um, you know, Andre, you talk about, you know, probably the purest ball striker of all time. Um, you know, he, he, he put the ball in the middle of the strings just about every time he hit the ball and he took the ball super early. Um, so you're talking about two of the most talented greatest players of all time right there. And what's interesting with these rivalries is how, you know, their personalities are different, their games are different. It seems like a common theme with all these rivalries. So uh, I find, you know, as, as you're talking about them or thinking about them, that, that that's one common theme, which uh, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. 
Agassi didn't try and pull that, uh, you know, between the legs shot on you, did he? Oh yeah, that sure. Kind of famous, right? <laughs> no, he was very respectful, very nice guy. You know, his 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 image thing was a little overblown. He was he was definitely image was everything, but uh, um, super good guy, very respectful on the court, and uh, both of them are good guys. And he he brought something to tennis that um, really had never been brought before, and that was sex appeal. Oh, like yeah. he. He, the women flocked to watch Agassi play. He had those that long hair, you know. Obviously, he's bald now, but it, we, that happens to all of us. But <laughs> yeah, the the women flocked to see that guy. So he was kind of the first to 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 take uh, you know to take the marketing over the top, and he he did it. You know, it's it, it's funny. He 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 had some flair, man. I met him the first time we were playing a, a national junior tournament in Florida. He was, I was 13, he was probably 14. He had, his fingernails were all painted red. He had eyeshadow on, he had mascara on. I mean, this guy, uh, um, he was he was a different cat. He definitely uh, uh, went for his image. Kevin, you mentioned how much more money Sampras won. That was just in tennis. I bet you if we went and looked back at endorsements, I bet you that's a lot closer with uh, oh, you know, Agassi catch up on that. Possibly. Well, and Agassi also wrote a book, and, um, and kind of touching on you guys' Tomorrow's image. I mean, he actually he admitted to some stuff in that book about how he failed some drug tests and was grieved by the. That takes a lot to you know write that and, and publish that, and put that out there in the public, knowing about how he is so like about his image, tarnish it. Some people said that that actually tarnished his legacy a little bit, but. I, I actually disagree with that for him to come out and admit it on I think that actually speaks well. It was a pretty good book. I think I think what, what was it called? Open? I think it was called Open. Yeah, I believe so. It was an open book. I mean it was it was pretty interesting to, to read some of that stuff. And and competing against him and hearing some of that stuff is kind of interesting because you had no clue. You had no clue. He was pretty private on 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 tour actually. So. All right, let's move on to our final rivalry for the men. It's uh, Rafael Nadal versus Roger Federer. I got this one. Um, I apologize ahead of time. I don't have as much research on it as I should. This was actually going to be Brett's, but, you know, Brett's under the weather. So I had to pick up the slack on this one. So uh, Nadal, he's got he's – got, I'm always into stats, but he's got 83.3 win percentage, 86 titles, 11 double titles. And 999 wins. So he's one away from that big 1,000. I'm sure that'll come at the very next tournament he plays. He, uh, he's got a gold medal in singles and doubles from the Olympics. He's got 20 grand slams. This guy is unbeatable on clay. Okay, I can't, I can't stress that enough. When it comes to clay, you're not beaten. <laughs> you're not beaten at all. Um, and he has the record for most Grand Slam titles uh, won without losing a set uh, with four. So that's that's pretty impressive. Um, and he has the most titles in a single Grand Slam tournament. That's the, the French Open, which, of course, is on clay. Um, and he's the only the second male to receive the Golden Slam. Uh, Andre Agassi was, was the other one. Uh, Nadal is very uh, aggressive type player, plays behind the baseline a lot, um, good court coverage, 
definitely can get from side to side really quick. Strong counter shot. Um, he can definitely return things. Federer, he's got a win percentage at 82.1. Um, he's 39 years old now, and he is still not on the very top of his game, but still top 5% of the world, which is just amazing. He's playing against 20-year-olds, and he's still pretty much, you know, winning most of his matches. He's got 103 titles, uh, eight double titles, 1,242 wins. Um, he's got a gold medal in doubles, a silver in singles from the Olympics, 20 grand slams. Um, and he's got the record for being number one at 310 weeks. And that's including 237 consecutive weeks. Uh, he's got a record eight men's Wimbledon titles. And he was more of a – he's a baseliner and a volleyer, exceptional footwork, maybe maybe the greatest footwork of all time. And the shot accuracy, that may be – he may be the most accurate shooter of all time too. But head-to-head, -head, um, surprisingly, Nadal leads 24 to 16 um, in, in their head-to-head -head matchups and uh, 10 to 4 in grand slams Nadal is leading. Um, now – if you if you if you look deeper into that, on clay, Nadal is fourteen and two against Federer. I said earlier how good he is on clay. Um, if you remove clay, Federer actually has the better head-to-head -head record, um, and Federer is the only player to beat Nadal in a finals during a whole decade on clay, and he did it twice. So that does say something. Um, so these two were really like a battle of the surfaces, you know, whatever surface they played on, if it was clay, hardcore, grass, uh, you know, turf, whatever, uh, played a big factor in, in who won these matches. Um, you know, some things that kind of hurt this, Nadal, he, you know, he's had constant injuries throughout his years. That's slowed some of the, the there would have been more matches between these two. Um, so that's hurt a little bit. But uh, their 2008 Wimbledon match, um, it's lauded as like the greatest match ever. It went four hours and 48 minutes. That's a pretty long match. Um, and they're considered by many writers and players to be the two greatest players of all time. So, um, John, I got to ask you, you ever been in a match that was basically five hours long? I, I actually... Uh... I think I played a match at the Australian Open that was uh, uh, over five hours. Um, yeah, it's a, it's 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 not fun. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can imagine. Was it a doubles or a singles? Singles match. Singles. Oh, wow. That's even worse because then yeah. you're by yourself. <laughs> exactly. It was hot. I remember, I went into a full body cramp after the match. It was good, and I and I lost. Dang it! Damn it! <laughs> Now, you uh, were you were all oh, that'd be the worst. Yeah, you were you were retired before these two came around, right? Um, you know, I always you know Federer was um, Federer was definitely on the tour. You know, you said he's thirty nine. I'm forty nine. So he 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 you know he was around. I I, I knew Roger a bit. Rafa was definitely um, not not around, not around. But um, 
Um, these guys, I, I mean, you you said it all. I mean, these guys are 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 in insane. I mean, I think they are the two greatest players of all time. Federer might be the most talented player of all time. Rafa, if you combine his talent with his with his uh, intensity and just just uh, his physicality that he plays with is is you, tennis has never seen anything like it. I had, ch- I had I went back to Wimbledon, took the family back to Wimbledon last year, and got a chance to watch Rafa live. I watched him a whole match, and I was I was blown away just in person watching him play. How physical he is, and how hard he works, uh, how hard he works on every ball. It's 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 pretty amazing, and I think his his thirteen French Opens is I think one of the greatest achievements in all of sports. Yeah. I don't I don't think that'll ever be broken. Well and other than these two and Djokovic, like the I feel like they don't have the competition that some of the other rivalries we've talked about that they would have to play. So I I think that inflates their numbers a bit. Now they're 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 really great. Obviously they're two of the greatest players of all time. But I don't feel like they had as hard of a competition. You know, back in your day there was Agassi, there was Sampras, there was Michael Chang. Um, you know, McEnroe was coming to the end, but he was still there. Um, you know, there were, I feel like there were just more, better competition in, in the early 90s, mid 90s, 80s than, than what there is today, at least on the men's side. The women's side is loaded, but uh, yeah. what do you I feel about that? Well, you also could look at it, you're talking about three of the greatest players of all time, you know, with, with uh, Roger, Rafa, and, and Djokovic. I mean, um, but but you're right. Nobody has been able, you know, Murray did it a little bit. Warinka's done it a little bit where they've kind of tried to get their paws in there a little bit. But I heard a stat today that in like in 2006, those three were one, two and three in the world. And in 2020, those three are one, two and three in the world. I mean, that that's pretty incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. I mean, that could your point. I mean, I what jumps out to me is the longevity. I mean, these guys have been able to be at it for so long. And, and I, I mean, part of me wonders, you know, if they, if these guys were back in the eighties and the seventies, would they still have gotten that, you know, I mean, we have a lot of modern medicine now and these guys are able to get back from injuries. I, I don't know the answer to that, but it still shouldn't be, you know, slighted the fact that these guys have been able to hang around, uh, you know, into well into their thirties like this I mean, and still be playing at a, at a very high level. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're seeing it in all sports a little bit, how athletes are, are, are playing a much longer time. But yeah, I mean, compared to like what we talked about Borg and Mac and they were, they were done at 26, 27 years old. And right, uh, exactly. You know, so, um, but uh, yeah, their longevity was amazing. Andre, Andre played for a pretty long time on Andre played for almost 20 years. So that, that was pretty impressive as well. I had some hope for American tennis again with Andy Roddick, but Federer just beat him down. <laughs> so did Nadal. Nadal beat him pretty, pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Roddick had that rocket serve, man. He had a bomb. He had a bomb, but he came up at the wrong. He was a little older than these guys, but it's a tough era to play with these guys. They're they're tough. I got you know. I I agree with your point that there might not be the competition, but I don't know these the, these guys are these guys are amazing. Yeah, you know, okay. I'll, I'll just to add real quick. Like these two, I I feel like they've revitalized the men's tennis. When they came into to the fold. Um, you know, once Sampras and Agassi were pretty much gone, I mean, like you said, Mike. You know, Sampras and Agassi pretty much brought tennis to the fold for you. Well, 
these two, I think, kind of revitalized it and brought it back for everybody because it was exciting to watch these two go head-to-head. Yeah. They always had great matches, big names. Um, and I do agree with you, though, Mike, that competition wasn't anywhere near good for them as it was in the 90s and I also feel like neither of these guys are really, really vocal on the court, but they still just have a, a level of intimidation. Um, you know, that when they're when they're playing a lesser opponent, it's just like, oh my God, Federer, oh my God, Nadal. You know, they're just they they just have this overwhelming presence, even though they don't have to say a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Well, before we vote, let's do our trivia question for tonight. Um, you gotta be a member of the Legacy Battle Facebook group to win, so please join. Uh, and you got to answer uh, all three parts of the question as usual. If you've already won, you're still ineligible. Sorry, guys. <laughs> all right. So here's a nice question. Who was the tennis player who showed Mr. Deeds around New York City? And who was the player that married Billy Madison's girlfriend? And who was the player in the movie Pixels that was waiting in the White House with Martha Stewart? So throw your answers in the comments section. If you get all those... We'll mail your prize out. And yes, it was an Adam Sandler question night. <laughs> All three of those are Adam Sandler movies. Can you say if it's one play or three different? It's three different. Three different. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got one. I got one of them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you get the other two, I'll mail you out the prize. So how about that? All right, let's start with the women. Uh, Brian, you're in the top corner. So uh, which of those women's rivalries? We got Everett Navratilova, Sellis Graff, Venus Williams, and Davenport. Who are you taking? Um, I'm going to stick with Everett Navratilova just because I feel like it kind of really put the women's tennis on the map. Um, you know, the fact that they met 80 times and, and it was so close, you know, uh, 43 to 37. I mean, I just feel like that was just uh, an amazing rivalry that, um, you know, it was unfortunate with, with what happened to Sellis that kind of dwarfed that rivalry because that, that had the potential to be an Everett, never to love a uh, rivalry. But, and, and, and then, uh, you know, the one was with, with uh, Venus Davenport. Uh, it just didn't really seem like it um, was commercially sort of, I don't, I don't know, it just didn't really stand out as, as, such, a, as such a big one as compared to these two. Uh, so I'm going to go with Everett and, and Navratilova. I I'm going to back what you said uh, with the Celis Graf comment. Um, I, I believe if Celis hadn't been stabbed, uh, her and Graf would have had probably one of the greatest rivalries for ten years. Um, it would have been insane, but you know, sadly that didn't happen. So as we said earlier in the show, it's the what if, and we that's a common topic of what if that we've had on a lot of our shows in the past, but. Um, it's definitely a what if. So because of that, I, I'm going with Navratilova and Everett as well. Uh, they may be the biggest names ever in women's tennis, uh, along with Billie Jean King. Um, they those those three made women's tennis like they put it on the map. You know, we probably might not even have it today if it weren't for those three. So uh, or at least it wouldn't be as big as, as what it is today. So uh, I'm going that. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, actually, for once, I'm actually agreeing with you guys. I know the last, what, three uh, debates, uh, it's been me and Brett against you two. Uh, but I, I agree with you guys that uh, Everett and is the best uh, robbery out of the three that we have discussed. Um, you know, I know you guys are, are downing on Davenport and Williams. 
you know, when they played each other, like, there were good matches. And, um, you know, 2005 Wimbledon really sticks out uh, where that match went about three hours. And the record head-to-head was pretty much even. But I think I agree with you guys. I think um, Everton never quit. Okay. John, how about you? Chrissy and Martina, for sure. I mean, 80 matches, uh, like you said, along with Billie Jean King, these two, you know, made women's tennis what it is today. And, you know, to play that many times, have it be so close, contrasting styles, um, you know, uh, the, the, the Monica Steffi one could have been interesting, but unfortunately it was cut short. Um, um, and then, um, you know, Venus and Lindsay, two great players, but I, I, I wouldn't put them, uh, I would, uh, I would definitely put the, uh, Navratoa Everett, uh, at the top of that one. It's a sweep 4-0. All right. Yeah. Let's, let's do our vote for the men. Uh, John, we'll start with you this time for the men. Go oh, ahead. This one's tough. This one's really tough for me because I, I mean, holy moly. Um, do I have to choose? No, I'm teasing. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, whew, I am going to say Federer and Nadal. I'm going to go with Federer and Nadal. It, it, it kills me. I think all three of them. Uh, you know, Borg McEnroe for me is, is why I play tennis. Um, but if you look at it purely from a, from a, from a tennis standpoint, number standpoint, what they've done for the game, um, you know, longevity, uh, you know, not as much entertainment value as the other ones, but, uh, I, I gotta go with, uh, Federer at all. And Sampras Agassi, a close second, a real close second. Brian, go ahead. Uh, you know, even though it was short, I'm going to go with uh, with Borg McEnroe. Um, I don't think they're ever going to make a movie out of the other rivalries. You know, <laughs> this was like, this was just a Hollywood script, you know, uh, laid out before us. And yes, it was very short, only 14 matches, but it seems like it was longer. It seems like it was, it was bigger. And, and then like, I saw an interview with um, uh, with these two guys, and and Borg said he's like sometimes people come to me and and they think that I lost the 1980 um, Wimbledon even though he won it just because it was like everybody remembers that great tiebreaker in, in set four the McEnroe won you know so it's like it's kind of weird like hey, people you know they don't even remember who won it just remember how legendary it was so I'm gonna go with that one. Okay. I'll go next, Kevin. You can you can finish it out after me here. But um, so tennis in the the late '80s, like right after Borg left, McEnroe was getting up in there in age. Was kind of a bit of a low point, uh, you know, in its popularity. You know, Borg was gone, like I said. McEnroe and Connors were past their prime at that point. Um, ratings were dropping a bit. And revenue was down too, and I, I'm always big on these shows about the money and revenues. So you know, revenues was down. So the early '80s was the high point, really, and, and then it dropped. And what brought it back was Agassi Sampras. And I'm not just saying that because that was the, what got me into tennis, but it really was that what brought it back into pop culture. You know, probably more so on Agassi side than Sampras. 
the rivalry obviously brought it out, but you know, Agassi was so mainstream. Uh, I don't. Some people forget how mainstream he was in the '90s. Um, there were women coming to that sport who really never had any interest in it before. I, I know I was in high school at the time. Several girls were obsessed with Andre Agassi. They'd open up their lockers and you'd see pictures of Andre Agassi and, and his his long hair in there. So you know that. Uh, you know, it may not be the best rivalry on the court um, as far as the the amount of times played and, and the evenness, but it saved tennis, in my opinion. Men's tennis uh, brought it out of a low point. Um, so I'm going with Agassi and, and Sampras. So that's that's one vote for each, which means the pressure is on you, Kevin. Good <laughs> times. Wow, I've never had a deciding uh, decision show yet. Um, so I'm gonna go through. I'm gonna go through all three briefly, real quick. So Brian, I I agree with you know your your rivalry that you that you had, Borg and McEnroe is a, a movie story. Like it is the perfect story for a movie. But unfortunately, that's all it is. Really, is a movie because. It was too short. I think it's too short to be considered the best rivalry. Um, granted, it was great matches, great players. McEnroe is very uh, colorful and animated, and I think that you know a lot. Of, that's why a lot of people remember him coming back. You know, having that tiebreaker point. I just think that there wasn't enough matches to really say that it is the best rivalry because we don't know what could have happened moving forward. It could have been heavily lopsided after that because Borg started struggling with his inner self, um, and then that's why he left early and whatnot. So I think that's just a little too short, but it was a, it was great matches between the two. Now it comes down to Agassiz, Sampras, and Federer and Nepal. Now, man, I loved Sampras and I loved Agassiz. I love Nadal and Federer. Like, I love watching them play each other. Um, they've done a lot for the game, as Jonathan had said. Um, Agassi and Sampras are just a little too too lopsided for me. Um, Sampras leading uh, number one by like 185 weeks more than Agassi. He also had more wins head to head, won more money. Uh, I just think I think Nadal and Federer it's it's the better rivalry. I think it's more exciting to watch, especially now. But I think it actually saved men's tennis. Currently, um, kept it alive. Um, yes, Agassi and Sanders kept it alive in the 90s and kind of handed it off to them. But I just, I don't know. Nadal, 999 wins. That's insane. He will get his 1,000th win. And Federer, I mean, he holds records, pawn records, great player. So, unfortunately, uh, I'm going to have to go with Federer and Nadal. You just went with them because the pro went with them. That's all. That's <laughs> not why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So there's our winner. All right. We're gonna we're gonna jump into our Q and A because uh, the show's actually gone a little longer than our, our last. We season. thought it was gonna be too short. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, it's talking too much. <laughs> no, no, it's no, it's 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 great. Don't worry about it. That's the nice thing about uh, you know. Recording, uh, it could go as long as we needed to. But uh, Brian, why, why don't you start the questions out for uh, Mr. Stark? Well, first things first, I yeah, 
my wife, she wanted me to ask you a question. So uh, this is for my wife, Sandy. <laughs> she wanted to know what particular drills that you would do to increase your reaction time and your speed. Reaction time and speed. So reaction time, I would do reflex volleys, you know, where you, you, you have, you're both up in net and you're working on, um, you know, just keeping your racket in front and, and trying to keep the ball in the air. Don't let it bounce and just go as fast as you can. Kind of like, you know, like, kind of like ping pong, but, but it's, you know, obviously you're, you're just going back and forth. So reaction time, I think reflex volleys are, are, uh, um, fantastic. And then, um, you know, foot speed, um, you know, we used to do a lot of two-on-ones. It's a little bit of an advanced drill, depending on how, how, how strong a player your wife is. But, I mean, that, that, that you know, where you, you have two people on one side of the net and one person on the other side, and you're just kind of moving that person around uh, from side to side or, you know, uh, uh, not necessarily back and forth the whole time, but you're going for a certain amount of time, a minute, two minutes, and you're just trying to go as long as you can. So I would say those two drills would be, uh, would be simple, uh, but great drills for. Okay. Yeah. So I'll go next. Um, I know you've won with Byron Black. You've won with Rick Leach. Um, and you play with Patrick McEnroe. That didn't come up in our Johnny Mac debate, but um, who do you feel was your best doubles partner? I, I'd have to go with Blackie, with Byron. You know, he and I, he, uh, we, we, we had a, we had a great run. We played like three, four years together and got to number one in the world. And we just complimented each other really well. And um, he was, he was a, a smaller guy, returned the unbelievable, um, but more more so than that, we just really got along well on the court, and um, um, right from the start, we our first tournament we played was uh, the Swiss Indoor in Basel. We won it, um, you know. We we we, um, we we hit it off immediately. So I I would say Byron was probably my uh, the best player. Okay. Um, I mean, my for me, for me. I mean, Martina, Martina. When we won Wimbledon, uh, interesting story. Uh, well, she she was uh, she was an amazing doubles player. She 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 volleyed. She she was great to play with. So a, a lot of uh, amazing experience there. Obviously. So. Okay. I wasn't going to play with her initially. Uh, I I was the year we played. Uh, I was playing singles and doubles, and I wasn't going to play mixed doubles. And I got a call um, uh, to play mixed doubles with Martina, and I said no. And uh, my mom happened to be there that year, and she said, "Who was that?" And I was like, "Oh, it was it was uh, uh, my agent to play doubles with Martina." And she said, "Navratilova," and I said, "Yes." And she said, "You pick up the phone right now and." Tell <laughs> Mom's no best. Mom's no best. That's a true story. That's a true story. I wasn't going to play. What a damn, huh? <laughs> yeah. Kevin. All right. So uh, kind of like a two-parter here, one for the men's side, one for the women's side. So scratch all the players that you've played with. Pick one person, history of tennis, play doubles with on male and female besides who you've already played with. Who would you pick for the male and who would you Someone who I haven't played with? Yeah, that if you could pick anybody in the history of tennis that you could play doubles with for male side and female. Well, I had the opportunity to play with Johnny Mack in an exhibition, 
but he he so I'm cheating a little bit, but he is the best doubles player of all time for sure. Um, I would say, but since I played with him before once, I would say I'd love to play doves with Federer, with 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 Federer. I'd love to be on the same side of the net with him, uh, the same side of the court with him. And then female side, um, oh geez, I'm gonna say Billie Jean. I'm gonna say Billie Jean King. Yeah, I would have loved to play doubles with her. Yeah, had the opportunity. Yeah, had the opportunity to 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 be on a. I was a coach on a Fed Cup team where she was the main coach, and she's amazing. She's amazing. She she's incredible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good, Brian. So, uh, so I learned I learned with the, uh, in in the movie there that I watched that Borg had these superstitions um you know he had to, he had to drive to the match in the same kind of car he had to he did this thing where he stepped on all his rackets to te- you know uh, test the tension and all that it, was there any superstitions that you had while you were playing um yeah i mean you know i i, I think we all do a little bit i mean i i always put my um you know, my, 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 my left sock on first and tied my shoes a certain way. If I, if I won a match, I would do the same routine the whole time. You know, I, I would follow the same routine. If I, I would eat the same breakfast, I would eat the, so it kind of changed week to week. I didn't have a, a, um, uh, something that I did my whole career except the sock thing, but, um, um, you know, you, you, you definitely, when you, when you go on some win streaks, you, uh, you try to keep the same thing the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So your, your titles, if I, if I have this correct, you want 11 on the hard courts. Um, so do you feel you were better on hard courts and play or on grass and carpet? I would think grass and carpet. Uh, my game was more suited. You know, I, I served and volleyed a lot. I had a bigger serve. So the faster services where I had more success. Um, interestingly enough, you know, I won the French doubles. Um, I was shocked. I was shocked. But, you know, I, 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 I had some good results on the red clay, which was surprising. But, um, you know, if, if, if I had to pick a surface where I had to play someone and, and feel like I, I could compete, it would be grass grass or, or, or a fast indoor court, that, that, that would suit me the best. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What would be uh, your favorites or most memorable? Say that again, sorry. What would be your favorite or most memorable moment of your career? Oh, geez. Um, you know, I'm vi- um, I would say if I had to pick one moment when I won Wimbledon with Martina, yeah, and looking back on that, to be able to say you're a Wimbledon champion and to do it with her was 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 pretty special. Um, you know, so so you know that that moment when we won was pretty cool. You know, um, you, you beat Michael Chang uh, uh, for uh, singles win. It wasn't he ranked number five, I think, at that point. I was Say, be, you know, tennis-wise, beating Chang in Singapore is the Singapore Open. Um, beating him and um, uh, in a final, you know, in Asia, um, you know, to, you know, from a purely tennis standpoint, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty proud of that. Pretty proud of that. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I ended up playing Chang a lot for some reason. Why, why don't we talk about Stark Chang as a rivalry? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you got enough time to do one more question each, or are you? Sure. Yeah. I know it's a lot earlier for you out in Oregon. We're all down here in Florida, so. <laughs> um, Brian, go, go ahead, Brian. Well, um, I understand that you have a passion for basketball as well. Um, so what what was it that led you to tennis and not to basketball? Um, my dad played college tennis, and it's kind of something we did as a um, as a family. And I had a lot of success early in tennis. And um, um, thank God I did because I was a uh, I was a six foot center uh, on the basketball court and had had no no skills from the outside. So um, um, no, I, I I love playing hoops, um, and I actually played basketball all through high school. Which uh, people I know when I was playing junior tennis, people said I was crazy, but I I loved it. I loved. It. I would I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Kevin, go ahead. Um, so just kind of going back to your college days, um, what uh, what kind of chose like, kind of got you to choose? Stanford? I know you're from Oregon, right? So yeah, I chose up in Stanford. You know, it's just kind of. Um, Back then, a lot of American tennis players. It was it was kind of the the premier program for 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 uh, college tennis. Um, coach Gould, who was my coach, he I think he ended up winning nineteen national titles. But you know, Johnny Mack went there. Um, Roscoe Tanner went there. Tim Mayotte went there. So it had a it had a real history, and so um, that was a that was a pretty easy decision for me. Was it, was it like a tryout situation or were you offered scholarships? No, you're just recruited and offered a scholarship. Yeah, I was lucky. Yeah. You're supposed to say you were a straight-A student and they begged you exactly. to come. <laughs> it did not matter at all. It didn't help at all getting in there. No, I loved it. I went there two years. I went to Stanford two years and wouldn't trade it. We ended up winning a national title. And those, that, those are, talk about memories. That That's one of the best memories I have to doing that. And, you know, tennis is so individual and, and you know, you're out there by yourself. So to to, to play college tennis and, and be there for a team and play for your uh, uh, school was, was something I'll never forget. And that's that also be, being able to say I played Davis Cup and, and play Davis Cup for the U.S., that um, I've, I've, you asked me what I'll remember. I'm, I, the first time I played Davis Cup, it was 1994. I've never been so nervous in my life walking onto the court and playing. Um, that, that, so that, that was pretty special. Representing America, so thank you for that. Yes. That, 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 yeah, that's man. great. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. So we'll get you out of here with this question. Um, so I know you, you've worked as an instructor for a really long time now, for uh, years at camps and Oregon Elite Tennis. So have you ever had anyone that either like made it big or someone you think is going to be a star at some point? Um I haven't. I've had I've had some kids go play some D1 tennis. Uh no nobody on the tour. I had a student here in Portland um that was uh, one of the best. He was he was probably the top 18-year-old in the country and um you know, now that uh, now that COVID hit, he's kind of going the wrong direction right now. So I got it. I got I got to set him straight again. But uh, he's 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 been my best talent, and uh, um, hope, hope hopefully you guys will uh, hear of him one of these days. Excellent. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. This, this was an honor. Um, yeah, you're a very humble man. I know this is the first time I spoke with you. You didn't, uh, you're like, uh, you know, how'd you find, how'd you dig me up? I mean, you, you, <laughs> you guys must've dug deep, man. You must've dug deep for me. No, but I, I, it's an honor for me. I, I love talking sports, love talking tennis. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, uh, Brian, and I, we had talked before, we're hoping maybe like one day we could just do like an interview about your career with you or something, if you're ever interested. So I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. This, this is easy for me. Like I said, this, this, this is fun for me. So uh, anytime. Great. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for Jonathan to Jonathan Stark for joining us tonight. Thank you everyone for, for watching. Remember to join the Facebook group page, um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also go to ngscsports.com and Arena Eats. Log on to their website, arenaeats.app, for the ultimate fan experience at your favorite sports venue. Arena Eats mobile app pre-order, express pickup, and in-seat delivery. How do you place your order? And we will see everyone back on November 16th at 9 p.m. with uh, guest Major League Baseball first baseman Sid Bream for the second Mount Rushmore of the New York Yankees. So thank you again, John. Everyone have a good night. Thank you, night. John. God bless. All right. Take care. Night. Night.